favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fertikowski. Each week, I'll bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week's episode, we have Amish fiction author Kelly Irvin, who will introduce us to her latest release, The Warmth of Sunshine. Hello, Kelly, and thank you for joining us today. How are you? Well, thanks for having me, Tracy. I'm so happy to be here. I'm good. I'm good. Good. I'm I'm really excited to talk about your book. Um, I am my favorite flower is sunflowers, and I know that this book um has a good bit of sunflowers in it. And it was just so summary when I read the intro. I, I'm really excited to hear your little snippet that you're going to read us here in a little bit. But before we talk about your story, I love to talk to our authors about their writing career. Now, I know that we had you on before, and I hope I picked some questions that you haven't addressed before, but it's been a while. The, our, our listeners won't mind if we repeat anything anyway. I'd love to hear what inspired you to start writing in the first place. Well, gosh, I, I have been a writer since I was a little girl. It's just always, you know, I was one of those kids that just couldn't wait to, to read. I loved to read. And once I started reading, I was like, I want to do this. I want to tell stories. And so in second, third or fourth grade, I think my, my sister and I had a newspaper and we wrote stories. I wrote plays and short stories and poems as I got into middle school and high school. And so I decided that being from a working class family, I, I knew that I wanted to write fiction, but I thought I, I need to be able to support myself. And so I became a reporter. I got a degree in journalism and wrote for a living so that I would get paid for it. <laughs> I always, always uh, wrote uh, in all different formats throughout my growing up years. You know, I have talked to so many authors through this podcast, and a lot of them started their writing career as a journalist for a newspaper or a, um, a magazine. Um, I myself started my writing career writing software manuals, so that how much how boring can that be? But um, it's so interesting to hear everybody's backstory. So after you wrote for, it was a magazine you wrote for, right? A newspaper, actually. A newspaper, I, I worked newspaper. for newspapers in uh, Kansas and then on the Texas border, uh, Laredo and El Paso. And um, eventually um, that was where I met my husband. We got married. And after we had kids, I decided to, to, to transfer more to public relations because I thought that might be a better fit with being you know, a mother. As I found out, that wasn't necessarily the case, but <laughs> But I did work as a, a newspaper uh, reporter and editor for 10 years. Oh, good. So when did you start actually writing your novels where you could give up that newspaper job? Well, um, well, actually, the novels came in after I spent 20 years in public relations. Um, I, I had, you know, two kids and they, you know, they were in middle school. I, I, I turned 45 and I thought, if I don't write something now, uh, I'm, this, this dream of mine to, to be a novelist is never going to come true. It's now or never. And I was working full time. I was chauffeuring the kids to activities. And I just said, I'm just going to somehow carve out the time to do this. And I wrote, I actually, I found a book in uh, the library. It was one of uh, Dee Henderson's 
O'Malley series uh, that I just loved. And I didn't realize there was something like Christian fiction or inspirational fiction until I read her books. And I loved that series. And I thought, this is what I want to do. And so I did. I wrote on weekends and evenings. I got up and uh, went to work early and wrote for, I uh, had to start uh, my job until I finished a manuscript. And so that, that was when I was 45. I didn't actually publish my first book uh, until 2010. So it's been 13 years and I now have over 30 books published. You have a lot of experience in the industry. If there was one thing you could say to a new writer or somebody just starting out, what would that be? But the number one thing is to write, put your behind in the chair and do it. But more, but to that end, you know, writers so often think are young, you know, just starting out writers think that they're just going to write this novel and send it in and somebody's going to think it's wonderful and they're <laughs> going to publish it. And I think you really, really need to hone that craft and, and you know, people, virtuosos on pianos and violins, they don't just be, get that way, they practice. Right. And I, I think that there is such a, a desire for immediate gratification when, when in publishing, perseverance is probably the number one quality that you need. Uh, talent is important, but the willingness to learn and hone your craft um, and to pay those dues is so important. Very few people, I know it happens, but very few writers hit the ball out of the park the first time and have a New York Times bestseller with their debut novel. Right. So take the time to learn your craft. Exactly. You know, um, I don't know if you think back to that very first book that you wrote, but I know that very first book that I wrote, I look back at now and I think, oh, that was horrible. That was horrible. Yeah. But, and, um, and we get better as we go. We just yeah. really get better as we go. I took that uh, first manuscript to writing conferences and shared them with editors. And I think back and thought, wow, <laughs> you know what they must have thought. I mean, they, they were very nice, but I look back and think I could have, I did myself a disservice by doing that because I didn't give them my best work. Exactly. So on that same line, we both write a good bit, but you've been in the industry a lot longer than I have. How do you handle writer's block? How do you always come up with a fresh new story? And when it's not coming, what do you do? Well, it, the, the latter part, but the not coming, I, that doesn't happen to me a lot uh, when I'm actually writing, uh, when I have the idea and I'm writing the story. I don't have a lot of writer's block in that, in that time frame. My problem is that I'm more likely to spew words all over the page and have this, you know, be way over my word count. But when I do um, run into a snag in a story and I, I, I can't really figure out where to go next, um, I have found that the best thing to do is to do something else. Um, I, I fold clothes or wash dishes, take a shower. Um, it, a lot of my ideas come to me when I'm laying down at night ready to go to sleep. And I, you know, it's like, I have to get my phone out and record a note, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's when I'm doing something else that my brain has time to work out those kinks. Um, you know, as far as story ideas, uh, I get a lot of those from reading newspapers and magazines and reading the budget newspaper is really helpful to me um, for ideas for my homage romances reading about all of the things that the scribes are doing or writing about in their communities across the, the country um, has just spawned so many ideas for me. Yeah, I think, I think you just have to um, give yourself time to let your brain work on it. 
And it's amazing how much uh, clearer a story idea comes when you're making dinner or you're folding yeah. clothes or you're mopping Absolutely. the floor. <laughs> if I'm doing something else that doesn't, you know, I'm just thinking about something else. I, I that always, it surprises me so much when I, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking a shower and I think, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Why did I have to take a shower to get that figured out? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing some of your personal writing career with us. And now we get to talk about the warmth of sunshine. But before I have some specific questions about that, I love to read your back matter, just so that we can pull the listeners into the storyline. So here we go. Kelly Irvin's The Warmth of Sunshine. Abigail's Amish life has always followed a certain path until an English woman disrupts all, all she's known to be true. Growing up Amish, Abigail Boatdragger often felt like a square peg in a round hole. Her pie crust always turned out tough. Her stitches always rang crooked. She was clumsy, not ideal for an aspiring Amish wife and mother, but her faith and love of family which are so much more important, are solid. Plus, her relationship with the attractive and kind-hearted Owen Kurtz is moving in the right direction. Owen is part dreamer, part entrepreneur. His friendship with Abigail has gradually blossomed into a sweet and loving courtship. Inspired by the hope of a future with the girl of his dreams, he decides to take the next step in building a business of his own in the promising new industry of growing sunflowers. When an outsider claiming to be Abigail's birth mother abruptly enters her life, Abigail's world comes crashing down. Confused and upset, she is determined to discover who she really is. Her journey of discovery leads to the possibilities of a new life waiting for her in the English world. But is this new life really worth giving up everything and everyone she's known? How can Abigail and Owen follow their hearts and God's plan when these new paths now lead them into the unknown? In this second book of the Amish Blessing series, best-selling and award-winning romance novelist Kelly Irvin shares an inspiring story of following your heart while trusting God to lead you into your future. Now that is just a great story to be launched in the summertime, Kelly. That was yes, perfect. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. So your main characters are Abigail and Owen, and you can pick either or both of them. If you had to describe them in three words, what would those three words be? Abigail is thoughtful. She's faithful and she's truly loving. Um, she's, she's just a good person. <laughs> Oh, she is. And, you know, I, the storyline where her birth mother, if she is her real birth mother, you know, it turns her world upside down. So I'm, I'm excited to read how you turn that story into um, a happy ending. So thank you for sharing that. Um, where's the story set? Um, this is set in Yoder and Haven, Kansas. Um, the uh, Yoder is a really small, um, just sort of a, an intersection in um, south, uh, I guess that would be southeast, uh, south central Kansas, um, but there, there's a fairly uh, large Amish community, most of them their addresses are actually Haven, Kansas. Um, so they, I, I picked them for a couple of reasons. One, I thought they were interesting because they use tractors. 
Um, they're, they're a little more, um, I guess I would describe them as new order. Um, so they're, they're not as conservative as some of the other communities, uh, other districts. Um, but also be, it's because it's only uh, 90 minutes from my hometown of Abilene, Kansas. Oh, and so, so you got to research there a lot. Yes, exactly. I went, um, I, my, one of my sisters lives in, in the Houston area. So we flew up to, to Kansas and um, my, my sister who's, who farms uh, in uh, near Junction City, Kansas, drove us, we went by Abilene and picked up my mom. And then we went on to, to Yoder and we ate at the restaurant there and we went and did some shopping. There's a, a furniture store that has all these beautiful quilts and and so we we just had a really nice the line women because my maiden name is line uh, just got together and got to spend the day to, um, together and I just it was just really enjoyed that so it was a, a definitely a perk of setting the story there but also because um, part of the storyline is Abigail exploring her her alternate family I guess you would call it she spends some time in Abilene and that allowed me to bring in all of the you know, that's where I grew up. So I had all this detail, all this authentic detail about what Abilene is like. And I don't know if, um, you know, some people may be familiar with Abilene because it is, it's only a town of 6,000. It's a rural community, but it's a tourist attraction because President Eisenhower's um, library and museum, his chapel are located there. He's buried there with his wife and his young son who died in childhood. And that there's the Greyhound Hall of Fame and uh, several other uh, tourist attractions that uh, people come to Abilene to see. And, and one of them wasn't there when I was growing up, but it's a big spur. It's the biggest, for a while, it was the biggest spur in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. And so I, I'm able to work that into the story and I just, I had fun with it. So uh, this was one of those settings that I, I, I tend to, set each of my series in a different place. So I've done Beeville, Texas and Jamesport, um, Missouri and Montana. And my new series is set in Virginia. So this was kind of in keeping with my tour of the country with the Amish communities that are a little bit different. Well, that makes it exciting for you because you get to go on little vacations to go explore each area. <laughs> Very true. And, and, and it's just, I, I think it, I like the, the idea of doing communities that are just a little bit different from what readers have come to expect from, you know, those, uh, you know, bird in hand or, you know, charm or the communities that have the really idyllic, you, you see these idyllic pictures of these farms that are very um, nice. And some of, of the Amish communities that I visited, like Beeville, are very, very rustic. And um, so it gives a different perspective, I think, uh, that there is a range because there's no uh, centralized church. The communities uh, have their own sets of rules. And um, that I think that helps us keep fresh. Otherwise, it's hard to come up with fresh story ideas in communities that are so there are certain things that they all have in common. And if you focus on those, it's difficult to come up with new, um, with new ideas. Exactly. You know, I grew up in Northwestern Pennsylvania and I grew up around the Amish and there were three communities in our area. One was a little more um, progressive than the other two. And the other two, which were like 
our neighbors, um, they were very, very conservative. So what they would allow and what the, the more um, modern Amish would allow were, were night and day. Yes. So, and they are not typical to like what Sugar Creek is or what Lancaster is. So I'm able to bring in some of those unique perspectives exactly. into our stories that you wouldn't typically see in Lancaster or maybe um, Berlin, Ohio. I have some uh, books, you know, uh, Cravel's book, the, the Amish and, and some things like that, that I use for basis kind of for the, you know, for their beliefs, their, their, their faith, um, how they practice their faith and that sort of thing. Um, and, it, and he was very clear that there's a wide variety of the ways that um, Amish communities function. And and that to me, it's important for readers to understand that there's there's just a whole spectrum of what's acceptable and what's not. And things evolve over time. That's the other thing. They're not stuck in time quite in the way that people tend to think they are. They consider each change very carefully, um, particularly when it comes to technology, to determine how it's going to impact on their life. And if it's something that they feel is a value that's not going to affect the quality of their family time, they're willing to, to accept it in some instances uh, in order to, particularly since farming has become such so difficult and farmland is hard to, to find and expensive. They're doing a lot more business and they need to be able to do some of those things with technology in order to feed their families. So we have to, we can't, I think it's almost a question of not stereotyping, you know, and understanding that evolution of whatever is acceptable in their, that they look at it, they vote on it, that it becomes incorporated in their rules, and that's how they go forward as a community. Exactly, and even some of the things that they they preach in their sermons and how they preach and what Bible it's taken from. Even those yeah. things evolve over time. It's different. It's just different. But okay. So tell us, was there anything that your um, editors made you take out of this book? I don't know that they made me take uh, out, not, not substantive things in terms of uh, content, but my manuscripts are always way too long. My um, editor who does the, uh, the, the initial edit will say, you know, maybe these, you know, these scenes might, you, you might consider whether you really need these particular scenes, but she never makes me um, get, you know, cut the story back uh, to, to reach the story count that's in my, my um, contract. But uh, I sometimes I have certain, I'm sure this happens to you. I have certain words that I use over and over again. And the, um, the it, it's like, look is one of them. I think, you know, I had look a hundred, you know, 200 times <laughs> in a manuscript. So I have to go through, do a search and, and fix that, you know, get rid of look, um, uh -huh. you know, it, it, things like that. So look, glance, you know, there's particular words that I tend to just use over and over again. So those kinds of things, you know, to tighten the manuscript up, I, um, they never make me, uh, if, if it's something that's really important to the, to the manuscript, they're not going to make me get rid of it. Um, they're just really wonderful about that. But I also recognize that the price of producing a book is going up, the cost of paper is going up, 
And when books are longer, it costs them more to produce them. And yeah. that um, cost can get uh, passed on to the reader. So I try to be, you know, aware of that when I'm looking at does this do all these scenes need to be here? What do you hope your readers will take a, away from this storyline? Abigail and Owen both have uh, to go on a journey um, to find themselves. Um, and we all have to, to take the time to figure out who we truly are in different ways. We might not have to go geographically, you know, someplace, but we, we need to um, recognize that we're evolving and that God has a plan for us and that we need to have our hearts and our minds open to what that plan will be. And biology plays a role in who we are, but the environment is so important. Family is so important. Um, ultimately, it's up to each one of us. And I think this is what Abigail uh, is, is finding out is that we have to take control of our lives and be who God expects us to be. We have to pray and be listening for God's plan. Um, family is so much more than bloodline. God knows that and he gives us the family he knows that we need um, to be who he wants us to be. The other thing that I think uh, is really reinforced is that our faith is going to be tested. Uh, but faith that isn't tested is, is going to be weak. And so we just have to expect that and work through it and have faith that God walks through those tests with us. That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. So Kelly, go ahead and find either your first page or a pivotal scene you can read to us, please. In the first chapter, but it's not the first page. Uh, okay. So, um, but I think it'll, it'll set the stage for uh, readers to uh, have a sense of what is coming. Uh, and the scene is from Abigail's point of view. Um, mother sat in the pine rocker next to the empty limestone fireplace. She'd chosen the chair farthest from where an auburn-haired English woman perched on the sofa. Abigail's sisters were nowhere to be seen. Why weren't they in the kitchen? The woman rose. She held out both hands. You must be Abigail. Mother moaned an awful guttural sound. Please don't let me. Doolittle rushed to her side. He whined again. He nosed her hands in her lap. She patted him without seeming to notice. Hello, I'm back. Silly thing to say. Of course they could see that. How did the stranger know her name? The chicken was boiling. I turned down the flame. I forgot. I forgot about it. Mother continued to smooth Doolittle's thick fur. This is Heather Holcomb, now Heather Hansen. She's the daughter of the Holcombs who were neighbors to mommy and daddy back when they moved into your uncle uh, Warren's daddy house. The Holcombs were nice. Grandma and grandpa used to take them gingerbread men at Christmas and check on them after storms. They returned the favor by supplying cranberry nut bread and offers of rides when the roads were bad during the winter. Why aren't the girls taking care of supper? I sent them upstairs. That made no sense. Abigail opened her mouth. You look just like me. The woman took two faltering steps toward Abigail. I always imagined you would. Abigail looked nothing like her. Her hair was bobbed below her ears while Abigail's waist linked hair near, neatly coiled in a bun under her calf was more blonde than strawberry. Sure, the woman had blue eyes too, but lots of people had them. Mother and father did. So did Jane. People always thought her younger sister and Abigail were twins, even though they were born exactly 11 months apart. Abigail peeked at her mother. Tears rolled down her plump face. Mother never cried. 
She found silver linings in every situation. When Grandma Evie died, Mother said she'd been whisked away to a better world. When lightning struck the barn and burned it to the ground, it was old and ramshackle and an eyesore. Besides, barn raisings were fun. The women laughed, laughing and talking and working side by side to feed the men. What's this about, Mother? What does she mean? I look like her. I'm sorry. We should have told you. Your dad and I meant to tell you, but we could never find the right time. Mother's voice cracked at the word father. Her nose was running. She wiped at her face with her sleeve. Another thing Mother would never do. The older you grew, the less it's she was. Well, who else's would she be? Tell me what. Mrs. Hansen stumbled forward, grabbed Abigail's hands, and pulled her against her body, all bony angles and sharp points. Not anything like Mother's round cushion of a body. You're my daughter, she whispered into Abigail's ear. Her breath tickled. I'm your mother. Now, why I would think that that, that part of the story would have been way further in the book, I love that you put it in the beginning and get it all out in the open at once. Yes, and that is that is sort of that's the catalyst for Abigail. She she has always been, in her estimation, clumsy and um, not. She's not a good cook. She doesn't sew well. You know, she's always felt like a, a square peg in a round hole, and so this revelation just shakes her to the to the bone. She she's thinking. Well, maybe, maybe that's why I don't fit in. Maybe I'm not really Amish. Oh, and so exactly. that is, that's the, this, this scene is the catalyst for everything that comes after. Um, it affects every, her relationship with Owen, um, who has his own issues to, to deal with. And uh, so I, I really wanted to explore the whole idea of, are we who we are because of how we're brought up or are we who we are because of what's in our genes oh, you know our dna perfect yes i love it i love it i can't wait to get it on my kindle and read it <laughs> so <laughs> so tell us what's next for kelly urban um well i just turned in the first book um it's entitled the heart's bidding in a new series um uh called amish calling it's set in virginia which I have to, to admit was I chose that setting because my daughter and my grandkids live in Virginia. So I got to do a research trip there. Um, the, the heroes are part of a family of auctioneers. Um, I, at the same time, I'm editing the galleys of the final book in this series, Amish Blessings. That's called Every Good Gift, um, and it releases in February. Um, and I'm writing my first women's fiction novel, which is due in November. Uh, it is tentatively titled The Absence of Time. So, um, yeah, having, I, I, it's, I, I love this sort of having all of these different things going on. Uh, it's exciting. Um, and it, it certainly keeps me busy. <laughs> oh, it sounds it. it sounds it. So is there anything you'd like to add or tell or say to your readers? Oh, just how much I appreciate them. Amish fiction readers are the best. They are so loyal and so kind. Uh, it's a joy to share my stories with them. And I just, urge them to keep reading. Oh, they are. They are very loyal. They are very loyal. So, so this comes to the end of our interview. But before we leave, I love to do a little fun speed round that sort of gets our listeners to know who Kelly Irvin is just a little bit deeper. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Would you rather be an hour early or 20 minutes late? 
an hour early, definitely. Punctuality is really important to me. <laughs> me too. Okay, here's one that I had to really think about when I when I um, when I came up with it. But what is one food that you used to feed your children that you'd never feed your grandchildren today? I don't. It's not a food. Actually, it's a drink, and that's uh, Kool Aid. <laughs> exactly. It's it is terrible for you. It terrible. Is. Terrible. <laughs> I can't believe I did it. <laughs> and we raised our kids on Kool Aid and, and Jello. I was raised on Kool Aid. <laughs> Kool -Aid yep. Yep. All it red dye and sugar mm -hmm. <laughs> and, sugar. and sugar, tons yep. of sugar. Yep. So tell us what's the last piece of candy you put in your mouth. Oh, so I had a piece of saltwater taffy yesterday. A friend brought back a bag from a trip to the coast to the beach. So I had <laughs> saltwater taffy yesterday. Oh, do you, do you remember as kids having um, those orange elephant or, or what were they called? Elephant? Pe peanuts, like peanuts, peanuts, those orange peanuts. peanuts. Yeah, they were. My mother still yeah. to this day loves those orange peanuts. <laughs> so isn't that funny? Well, Kelly, I want to thank you for spending time with us this week. And I look forward to hearing more about your future projects here on the Buggy Talk. Thank you so much. And to all you listeners, if you want to pick up a copy of The Warmth of Sunshine, look for the link in the show notes of this app episode that you can find on my website at tracyfredekaski.com, or you can also go to the Buggy Talk podcast. To end this episode, if you want more information on my latest release, which is Rebecca's Amish Heart Restored, or any other stories that I weave around my fictitious town, you can visit tracysamishbooks.com. That's Tracy with a Y at tracysamishbooks.com.